Let's get to the headlines. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies Headline Edition. This is Kyle Murphy, Vice President of Editorial Excelsior Healthcare Media. And as always, I am joined by the wonderful Kelsey Waddell, Senior Editor of Healthpayer Intelligence and Multimedia Manager for Excelsior, all things media. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, I'll own that. No. You'll own that. <laughs> so, this is a new segment that we are rolling out on a weekly basis where we bring to you the what we consider to be the most important headlines over the past weeks to hopefully keep right. you informed and keep you abreast of all the issues with a little bit of, let me say, banter? Yeah. Friendly insight? interaction? In, it, insight like is better. Of our wise insight. Yeah. I've been doing this for too long now. I think I have some opinions on the matter. All right. All right. Let's get into it. First item here. Are you ready, Kelsey? I'm ready. Oracle foresees gains in healthcare. So Oracle is set to release its generative AI for EHRs in the next 12 months. Wow. You've heard about generative AI? I have. I Good. haven't been able to escape. Yeah. But <laughs> it's inescapable. It's everywhere on the internet. The company recently announced that its digital assistant will enable healthcare providers to use voice commands. Revolutionary. To automate clinical documentation. It can also automatically take notes and suggest context-aware actions like ordering medications. The product also allows providers to retrieve patient EHR data during appointments, which might be useful, with the goal of informing clinical decision-making while enhancing patient-provider interactions, reducing burnout, and empowering patients through self-service. If these sound like buzzwords to you, you would be correct. Buzz, 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 buzz. Additionally, Oracle has added healthcare-specific features to its financial and supply chain management products to streamline financial consolidation and reporting, procurement, and replenishment planning and recall management. It also introduced workforce management capabilities to address staffing challenges using AI and cloud technology for efficient staff scheduling and financial planning. The announcements follow a rough patch for Oracle due to its Cerny EHR business mm -hmm. and the losses of key clients. So that's obviously a lot right there. Yeah. You had both the patient stuff and the company oh, yeah. level. So Even if they accomplish just a fraction of this, if they could reduce burnout, that'd be huge. Yeah. If they can empower patients, that'd be huger. Yeah. Who knew? Sounds like a civil bullet. Mm-hmm. All right. Item number two, breaking up is the hardest thing to do. We're used to mergers and acquisitions, but there are also breakups in healthcare. Yeah. Dana-Farber Cancer Institute is ending its affiliation with Brigham and Women's Hospital and partnering with uh, Beth Israel Deaconess, otherwise known as BID, to create a freestanding cancer center or hospital in Boston. The decision marks a significant change in Dana-Farber's affiliations and came out as a surprise to Brigham and Women's as they were in negotiations to continue their partnership and invest in new cancer facilities. Hmm. So it's really only a breakup for Brigham and Women's. Yeah. Dana-Farber's moving on. Yeah. It's going better places, onward and upward. Dr. Lori Glimcher, the CEO of Dana-Farber, cited the changing landscape of cancer care due to an aging population and increased diagnoses among younger adults as the driving factor for the move. The new hospital aims to increase patient capacity and leverage tech advancements and innovations from both Dana-Farber and BID. Anyone taking notes, so Beth Israel Deaconess had previously merged with Leahy Health in 2019, forming a 13-hospital system. So the transition is expected to take several years, during which time Dana Farber's current affiliation with Brigham and Williams Hospital for inpatient and surgical care will continue. Sounds awkward. To Strange, me, Beth but Fellows. Yeah. Yes? Yeah. 
it's really hard. A clean break is very hard to come by these days. Mm-hmm. They're just going to be friends for a bit. Try it out. Might see be awkward. Happens, yeah. See what happens. But at the end of the day, it's probably for the best, mm. considering that an organization or a hospital focus exclusively on, on cancer care should probably be for the benefit of patients, considering that's all they'll be doing. And as we've seen historically, you can be decent at multiple things, but you can be really good at one. Yeah. That describes my list. True for com- yes. companies. Jack of all trades, master of none. Or right. what? One. Yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> What's next? So Blue Shield of California has an exciting new partnership with Salesforce. They're enhancing their care management services and streamlining their enrollment processes with this introduction of CareConnect. It's a care management system built on Salesforce Health Cloud. CareConnect consolidates data from 13 different sources. Lucky number. Yep, lucky number. We already have had it once in the show, so (laughs) providing care managers with a comprehensive view of member health needs. So it's going to pull from clinical, lab, pharmacy, behavioral health, care gap, and a lot of other health data, facilitating real-time care plans, and hopefully connecting members to in-network benefits as well. The goal is to improve the overall member experience and also create a unified member experience and improving the enrollment experience for employers and brokers as well. That's positive. Yeah. So the current enrollment process for commercial markets tends to be pretty manual and very lengthy for payers and employers. I have to write about it quite a lot. (laughs) Blue Shield and Salesforce, however, are developing basically a single self-service digital process and they say that it reduces the processing time for benefits administration from 24 hours to five minutes. That seems big. That seems huge. That would be a there huge There are a lot of saver. minutes in 24 hours. I can't <laughs> do the math top of my head, but that's huge. It's a pretty big percentage drop. Yes. This is not the end of the partnership either. They're planning to collaborate with other external partners, expand that platform, and expand member access to it. So more to come on that. But It's almost like they're treating members like consumers. Yeah, I think that's the way we're going. Consumerist healthcare. It's interesting. More of these health plans want to be in the care management decision-making process. So it stands to reason that they actually start working with a, what do you call them, a CRM company, that's Mm -hmm. Salesforce. We're Mm -hmm. editors, so we don't deal with this sales side of things. But it seems to be important. Yeah. I've heard people talk about it quite a lot on the sales side. So, And the other thing is, it's interesting that if this works in California, per se, like the Blues are a mm-hmm. big association. So yeah. it'd be interesting if this is something that gets rolled out to all the different regions. Yeah. And that could be a huge win for at least Blue subscribers, members, employers. And there are many. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it's also interesting how they're, they're doing a lot of things in one. I think we're seeing that in a couple spaces right now with the Oracle announcement and with this announcement, tackling not just like member experience related things, but also tackling internal problems and trying to provide solutions for both members and for internal issues as well is a lot to tackle at once. But It's a lot, but you know, a company like Salesforce is pretty substantial. Yeah, It crosses many industries and they're very mature in the way they operate. So rather than reinventing the wheel, this would seem to be a big payoff. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's cloud, so cloud, limitless. Cloud, cloud, cloud. <laughs> Speaking of digital tools, we are going virtual in order to overcome the nursing shortage. There's a survey conducted recently by Joslyn Insight. 
that surveyed 789 different healthcare professionals in mostly acute care settings and found that about three quarters of them, or 75% of healthcare professionals, see virtual nursing as an opportunity to recruit nurses who cannot or will not work at the bedside. 66% of the respondents believed that virtual nursing will become integral to acute care delivery models, and over a third of respondents had already implemented virtual nursing or were in the process of doing so. So it's not just a hypothetical, it's already in the works, which is pretty fascinating. They highlighted a couple key use cases for virtual nursing, which included patient discharge, admissions, patient education, and expert clinical oversight. They also went into some of the key metrics for measuring success, which is important with any new sort of method or, or process. And what they highlighted was improving nurse satisfaction and retention, the workload burden for current staff, and patient experience were the things to look for when implementing something like this. That said, 14% cited a lack of confidence in the return on investment, ROI, ROI. Roy. Yep, good old Roy, as a reason for not implementing virtual nursing, a lack of confidence on ROI for not implementing it, and 13% cited budget constraints as well. So it sounds great, but it sounds like there's some things to overcome well, before it's the, reality. There is the question of how much you're actually paying for a virtual nurse. Competitive pay is obviously one of the reasons why getting nurses on staff and retaining them is, is a huge issue. But the major upstream question is, is more just where have all the nurses gone? Right. We still haven't answered that. This may be one of your temporary solutions, but there clearly is a lack of a workforce, and maybe the job is not mm. all correct. The fact that it says will not work at the bedside. Yeah. I know. I've been around a hospital bed. It's not yeah. a fun place to be. But Yeah. And with the attacks on the workforce, the mm -hmm. healthcare workforce that have been going up, I wonder if people even who want to work at the bedside might see this as an alternative that might be safer for them. So that's like a positive, but at the same time, what will that do to our bedside workforce? We still might have a shortage of people who are in person and present. And that's well, yeah, I mean, you, ha you still have the question where somebody still needs to be physically present. Right. So that may, you know, that, that's obviously not a nurse if you can't afford a nurse and you have a virtual one there. So it really, is, the question's, then who is actually there? Obviously, a lower license, maybe a nurse's aide is there. There still needs to be that human touch component. Mm -hmm. There's only so much interacting you can do over screen that can actually meet human need. But obviously, we have there are more pressing concerns right now where physically these organizations are understaffed. Yeah. So any stopgap measure is better than nothing. Right. So sure. we roll on. Mm -hmm. Last time of the day, a formula for success. So a study by Camden Coalition and Kaiser Permanente found that when hospitals coordinate post-discharge access to social services and manage care for socially complex patients, and when patients actively engage in these interventions, better outcomes are achieved, such as reduced hospital readmission rates, which is an important quality metric and an incentive payment tied metric. The study focused on patient engagement levels is a follow-up to a 2020 report that didn't find significant improvements in readmission rates through care coordination and SDOH interventions alone. Patients categorized as more engaged had significantly better outcomes with a 48% lower relative 30-day hospital readmission risk and a 52% lower relative 90-day readmission risk compared to less engaged patients. Patients experiencing housing instability or with a history of criminal justice involvement were found to be less likely to engage with care coordination. 
suggesting a need to tailor interventions to address these specific needs. Now, this brings us back to the quadruple aim or quintuple aim, I should say, where health equity is now a big component and social determinants of health are a major factor. I think we're getting into the behavioral economics of healthcare where you can only deliver so much care of that if the patient's not engaged, you're not getting anywhere. And it's kind of remarkable that a study is this is so eye-opening for something so basic. But Yeah, but sometimes you need the stats behind it to be like, yes, this is real. That's <laughs> true. It is healthcare. There's no evidence. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's no buy-in. You have to prove Roy and all those other things that we love to talk about. Yeah. It is good to see, though, that following their previous report, which didn't necessarily yield the results they wanted, that they stuck with it. Mm-hmm. And they actually saw that there's two sides to the equation where there's the provider and then there's the actual patient. The patient who's kind of left out of all of these conversations and decision-making, right. but has the onuses on the individual to actually adhere to their care plan, adhere to their medications. All, all those are opportunities to disrupt health and well-being. So obviously it speaks to the need for greater patient education as to why it should matter, which is a whole other matter, but right. at least it's the start. Yeah. And with that, those are the healthcare headlines. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple. Last and all word, of Kelsey. the other listening platforms. Wherever you find us, we'll be there. Yeah. And we'll catch you next week. See you later. This is a Tech Target production.